The scripture reading this morning will be from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, and it reads, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Jonathan, for such beautiful singing. Very fine participation that the uh, congregation has entered into our worship, and we're very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for these very sincere scriptural prayers which have been offered, and, and for the very fine way these men have led us in our worship. Happy that you're with us today. If you're visiting, we're delighted to have you. Now, I hope that you will stay long enough for us to become well acquainted and become friends. I encourage you to come back and be with us tonight at 6 o'clock where we will be worshiping and studying God's Word once again. And I always look forward to the opportunities and the occasions that bring us together to be with you, to worship with you, and to praise God Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and the Creator of our soul. And I'm grateful for this privilege to stand in this pulpit and study the greatest book in all the world, and that's the Bible. And I look at it once again, this great passage, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, how Peter admonished them to grow, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to grow spiritually. I have to tell you, this subject's always been difficult for me. It's a difficult subject because I know that when we're baptized into Christ, one of the great blessings that we receive is forgiveness of sins. The Bible references that, Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Titus, Paul told him, baptism was the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration, the washing away of our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is a way in which we live life in Christ now. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Now we become children of God because of our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We repented of our sins and confessed our faith. We're baptized into Christ. The blood of Christ cleanses us from sin and we live a new life in Christ Jesus. But also there is a renewing. It's not only a matter of being washed and forgiven of sins, which is such an important matter, but it is also a matter of renewing and growing to be more like Christ. And I find that hard sometimes and difficult. Difficult to apply to myself and difficult to teach others about spiritual growth. There's so much misunderstanding about it. You know, we're very careful with regard to our physical bodies for it to grow and grow properly. But sadly, some are baptized into Christ and they never grow spiritually. They remain the same that they've always been. And it's a sad situation that the child of God who's been obedient to the gospel of Christ does not grow as he ought to grow and through the course of time becomes less profitable to the service of the Lord than when he might have first begun. 
And so our lesson's a lesson I need, a lesson you need. It's a lesson on what it means to be spiritual, and perhaps a series of lessons on the idea of what spiritual growth really entails from the pages of the Bible. Before I actually go into that, though, I really feel that I need to understand what it means to be spiritual to begin with. So many times this particular matter is so used and abused. We always hear the term, well, that's a spiritual-minded man, or that's a spiritual-minded woman, or that person is a very spiritual person. But what does that really mean from the standpoint of God's Word? And that's what I want. I want to know what God's Word says about it. And then I want to work at applying that to my life. And I know that there's a lot of misconceptions about the matter out there, a lot of misconceptions uh, with regard to the Word. So I want to wade through all of that, and I want to find out what the Word of God says about what it means to be spiritual. And I have three points on that particular matter that I will present today. The first thing that I'm going to talk about is the term spiritual. And I want to see what the Bible has to say and how the Bible uses the term. And I know that when I understand what the Bible says about it, then I'll get the truth on that matter. But I also know that there's a lot of usage of the term spiritual that's misapplied. And so I want to spend just a brief amount of time today talking about false notions about spiritual, because there are a lot of those out there. And I don't want to become a victim of that which is false and counterfeit. And then, I don't want to leave it there, though. I want to, in a practical way, talk about how I can become more spiritual. Once I learn what it's all about, what can I do to be the kind of spiritual person God wants me to be and to be pleasing in the sight of God? Well, we've got our work cut out for us today. So let's set aside all the preconceived ideas and prejudices that we should not have all the worldly thoughts and the thinking that clouds our mind. Let's focus intently as much as we possibly can on what it means to be spiritual, what God said it means. And then we're going to work our very best at putting that to place in our life. Let's take the first point, the term spiritual. How's the word used? Sometimes the word spiritual is used in the Bible simply to tell us the nature of something. For example, turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. There the Bible talks about the nature of a spiritual being. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. See, that's physical. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, in the heavenly places. The Apostle Paul is emphasizing the enemy that we face, and he says you face a spiritual enemy. Sometimes the word spiritual is used to describe the nature of something, as angels are spiritual created beings. Here a human being, a man, is a physical created being. There are spiritual beings, there are physical beings. Sometimes it's used to describe the nature of a being. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you have a passage there that talks about the spiritual body which we will receive 
on the day of resurrection. And it's a wonderful passage, chapter 15. But I was thinking about verse 44, as I think Paul is referencing the matter. And it comes to mind as I talk about the nature of a being. Sometimes the word spiritual refers to the nature of one. Here he's talking about, 1 Corinthians 15 and 44, the nature of the spiritual body which we shall be given on the day of resurrection. It is sown a natural body. That's our physical body he's talking about there. It is raised a spiritual body. That is the body that we shall receive upon the resurrection. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15 and 44. The word spiritual can and does refer to the nature of a being. In this particular regard, it is referring to the kind of spiritual body that I shall receive upon the great day of resurrection. How's the word spiritual used in the Bible? Sometimes the word spiritual is used to refer to the quality of our worship. For example, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, it's used in that way, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. If you'll notice there, he references the matter of spiritual songs. A spiritual song is a song that has reference to heavenly things. A spiritual song is a song that has reference or discusses or explains or teaches spiritual type of matters. Talking about our souls. Talking about living for Christ. Talking about heaven. I love to hear the congregation preach, uh, sing about heaven. And from time to time, these very fine song leaders will sing songs and lead songs that talk about heaven. Well, this is a spiritual song. It's not a mundane song. Mundane is simply a word which here means that which is earthly or ordinary or everyday. As much as I love the Star-Spangled Banner, I would not sing the Star-Spangled Banner in a worship service because a worship service is a spiritual service. We sing spiritual songs, Ephesians 5.19, songs that pertain to the hereafter, songs that pertain to the spirit of man and the spiritual walk of life. As much as I love the song, America the Beautiful, I wouldn't sing America the Beautiful in a worship service because it's a mundane type of song. It has reference to the here and now. But we're spiritually inclined. We're spiritually worship God, worshiping God and reference spiritual songs in that worship. That's how it's used sometimes. Sometimes it's used to talk about our worship and the quality of our worship. Sometimes the word is used to reference the matter of the wisdom that comes from God that is spiritual. And the man who will listen to that wisdom is a spiritually minded man. The man who will not listen to the wisdom that comes from God is a carnally minded or natural minded man. Now this is the way Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. And I think I'll turn to that passage and read just a verse or two because it's a rather complicated passage of Scripture. The passage that I have in mind, yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the, the rulers of this age who are passing away. Well, you continue to read on down through this particular paragraph, 
And he's saying, now, God has revealed his will, and a spiritually-minded man is going to appreciate that will. But a natural-minded man is not going to. He won't appreciate it. He won't value it. It's not that he can't. It's just that he won't. He doesn't think that particular way. You get to about verse 10. You'll see what I'm talking about. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Well, the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world. See, that's the naturally minded man who thinks for himself only on his own terms, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, verse 14, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. And he goes on through this rather complicated passage telling us that a natural-minded man is so given in his focus and his direction of life, he will not look at the Word of God. The Word of God came from God. It was, spirit, it was given by God the Holy Spirit. And he's making that reference for us in the second chapter. But he's saying, now there's a certain type of man, a certain type of attitude whereby he will not listen. To the Spirit. He will not listen to the teaching of the Word of God. That kind of individual is foolish indeed. But a spiritually minded individual, he welcomes the Word of God. The spiritually minded individual, he's listening for and desires to know more about God's divine will. And so it is. And I think by this time we're beginning to get a good definition of what the Bible means by spiritual. It is important that we come to understand the will of God and live by the will of God. The spiritually minded man is looking for God's word. He is trying to understand it and apply it to himself. In this passage of Ephesians chapter 6, you have this beautiful verse in verse 17 where it talks about that particular matter. And I should spend just a moment discussing these elements because it's a very important part of our understanding the definition. By the time you get to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, he's certainly talking about the Bible here. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You're to take that. You're to receive that and embrace it. Turn a couple of pages back to the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, you have this responsibility that we have as children of God found for us in chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. He says, now here's a brother that's fallen, and he's got problems in his life, he's got sin in his life, you who are spiritual. You go to that person and you help him out of that. And you do it with the attitude, you know, that could be me if I'm not careful. And I would need someone to help me get out of this problem of sin if that were the case in my life. 
But let's not just leave it here. We're zeroing in on an important understanding of what the word spiritual really means in the pages of the New Testament. And in that we see in the fifth chapter passages such as the following. In verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's verse 25. And so this whole section in Galatians chapter 5, leading on into Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, now you who are spiritual, you who are the ones who are led by the Spirit, you who are ones who are walking by the Spirit, you who follow the fruit and manifest the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you who are spiritual, you help restore this one who's in this matter of weakness or who is in this matter of sin. So now I'm getting a much better understanding of what spiritual really means. Spiritual really is saying an individual who lives by the teaching of the Word of God, who is led by the Spirit, goes to the Word of God for instruction and for direction, who's actually putting that in his life, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Who's the kind of person who seeks the kingdom of God and loves the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his mind? I've got a pretty good idea what spiritual means from the standpoint of the New Testament. But there are a lot of false notions about being spiritual out there I need to understand. The way of error is so clever. I've got to be careful not to fall into that way. So I want to know about it. First of all, so that I'll stay out of it. And secondly, so that I can help people out of it who are in it. One false notion about being spiritual is that I can exclude myself from society and live a kind of monastic kind of life and I'll be more spiritual. If I withdraw myself from society and have nothing to do with society and isolate myself from society, then I can be a more spiritual person. A man by the name of Anthony in 320 AD, he migrates to Egypt. He leads a lot of people down there with him, and there they exclude themselves from all society and in turn desire to be more spiritual in the doing. It's a false notion. The Bible nowhere gives us any idea that if I withdraw myself from society, have nothing to do with society, that I'm a more spiritual type of person because of that. It nowhere teaches that. And we've studied that from our definitions. Then there was a man in 432 AD, a Syrian monk, who decided that he would lead a group of people. And for 37 years, they lived out by themselves in a desert-type place, thinking of themselves as being more spiritual. Seclusion was not in the biblical definition. Isolation from the world was not in the biblical definition with regard to what spiritual means. 
In fact, the very opposite was given to us. You who are spiritual, restore someone who's involved in the problem of sin. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. You who are being led by the Spirit, who are walking by the Spirit, who are actually exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23. Why, you are the ones to help people out of their wayward view and life. Some denominations have picked up on this idea. And various orders have come and evolved from this notion, this false notion, that if I'm involved in this particular order or that particular order, I'm a more spiritual person. That's not in the biblical definition. It's a false notion. A second false notion that's very popular, asceticism. Asceticism is a word which here means to deny myself any of the pleasures of life. If I deny myself any of the pleasures of life, then I can be a more spiritually minded person. I can be a spiritual person if I deny myself that. Other people are involved in that, and if I, which was good in and of itself, but if I deny myself something that is good, then in turn I'll be more spiritual than they are. Or it could take this particular view that if I punish my body, and I beat my body, and I inflict pain on my body, then I can somehow become more spiritual in the process. I read in the National Geographic of a young man who actually, through religious ceremony, had his body nailed to a wooden cross like Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross and hung and suspended from that cross for a long period of time. I can't remember how long now, thinking that he was more spiritual now because he's reenacting the cross of Christ in his life. And he's putting himself through physical pain and he's putting himself through affliction, thinking this will bring about greater levels of spirituality. It's a false notion. It's not in the definition, the biblical definition. It's a false notion of being spiritual. If I do not marry and I live a celibate life, I'll be more spiritual than someone who is married. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 3 tells us that there's nothing involved in that particular matter. Now, if one chooses not to be married, it's their option. If one chooses to marry, they may marry given God's law of marriage. It is not a matter of being more spiritual or not. One is not being more spiritual if they decide, well, I'll live a celibate life all of my life and I won't ever involve myself in marriage. That's not in the definition, biblically speaking. It does not add spirituality to one's life to live the aesthetic view. Paul talked about these things in Colossians chapter 2. Perhaps you and I should review that particular passage together. He was warning them that there would be people who would come along and teach such notions, but they were not to go along with them. He says in verse 23 of my citation of Colossians 2, These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence, the passage is Colossians, the chapters, chapter 2, and the verses, verse 23. You can read it from the pages of your own Bible. Now, it may appear to have some wisdom in it, but there's no value to it. The aestheticism. Sometimes charismatic groups will come along and say, 
if I get the miraculous gift of the Spirit, then I'm more spiritual. And I've actually talked to some of their preachers, as I've always tried to do. I've always tried to talk to folks and try to understand their position and their position better. And, and they would say, you know, the desire is for you to get the gift of speaking in tongues. And if you get the gift of speaking in tongues, you're more spiritual. And there's a big push in certain charismatic groups when you join that denomination that you get that particular gift because that shows you're spiritual. If you have the miraculous gift of the speaking in tongues, and that's a false notion for two reasons. It's a false notion, first of all, because we don't have miraculous gifts of speaking in tongues today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us very clearly that that which is perfect has come. Verses 8 through 10. The completed revelation of God is here. And we're not going to get any new revelation. We do not have the age of the miraculous today. It is always interesting that those who want the age of miraculous to be today always want that one gift, speaking in tongues. And the speaking in tongues that they do is not the kind of languages that we read about in the pages of the Bible. But it's the second problem with that, the second fault with that, is that the church at Corinth did have miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they had terrible problems with spirituality. 1 Corinthians tries to tell us of the problems that the church had. They had to get miraculous gifts. They had gifts of speaking in tongues in that day, and I believe they actually had it, just like the Bible says that they had it. But they had problems with spiritual living and spiritual life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, I had to speak to you as children. I had to speak to you as carnal and not as spiritual because you were not able to bear it. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it. I couldn't speak to you as a spiritual type of person. I had to speak to you as a carnal type of person because of, the, of your thinking, even though they had miraculous works of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if we took the time to study the chapter, we'd find that they were abusing the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul has to explain the nature and the purpose and the need for them to change in the matter. Simply because I desire a miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit, first of all, I'm not going to get it because we don't have it today. It's not germane to our day and time. Secondly, it doesn't guarantee spirituality. Church of Corinth had terrible problems with spirituality. And the book of 1 Corinthians was written for that very purpose and that very reason, to help them out of it. Here's another point, and I must be brief. False notion. I hear it a lot. Morality and good works makes me a spiritual person. I do good deeds. I help the poor. I help the weak. I'm considerate of them. Now, let there be no mistake about it. Let's eliminate any possible confusion. A spiritually minded person is going to do that. A spiritually minded person is going to be concerned about the weak, going to be concerned about the poor, and is going to do something about it as best they possibly can. But simply because I do a benevolent act does not necessarily make me more spiritual. It doesn't mean that I'm more spiritual. 
I cannot do all the good things in the world, and I don't want to minimize the importance of helping people who are in need of help, but I can't rely upon that to save me because I cannot earn my soul salvation. All the good works in the world is not going to atone for one sin in your life, and that's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's the grace of God that tells us, that helps us, and what we desperately need. Now, a Christian is going to be concerned about the poor, as Jesus taught us to be. We're going to be concerned about the needs of the needy, as James taught us to be. But it doesn't guarantee spirituality. Oh, they do a lot of good works. I don't know how many times I've heard that. But they've never obeyed the gospel. I know people that just about give you the shirt off their back but they've never obeyed the gospel of Christ. And they don't agree with the gospel of Christ. They argue against the gospel of Christ. All morality and good works, as good as those things are, and as benevolent as those things are, does not guarantee spirituality. I'll tell you something else while I'm on this point. False notions about spiritual. Being religious and going through religious maneuvering and ceremony doesn't make one spiritual. Simply because I go through some kind of pious ceremony or go through some kind of religious service not authorized in the New Testament, does not make me a spiritually minded type of person. Do you know the Jews of Jesus' day were very devout? And they went through all kinds of services and ceremonies. But the Bible makes it very clear that they were desperate for the gospel of Christ, Acts chapter 4. They needed it. The Pharisees were a very religious type of group. But Jesus was making it very clear to the Pharisees, you are blind leaders of the blind. There's something very desperately wrong with you. John the Baptist would tell him, Repent, ye generation of vipers. Who's warned you to flee from the rat to come? Matthew chapter 3. Just because I go through religious observances and just because I go through religious maneuverings and act in a very pious way does not make me spiritual. Why, there was a man in the book of Acts by the name of Cornelius. He was a devout man. He was a man who prayed and gave much alms to the people, and we can turn to his life in Acts chapter 10, and he was one that needed the gospel of Christ. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian band, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household. And gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. But God sent the preacher to Cornelius so that he could obey the gospel of Christ, which was the same gospel that the Jews obeyed in Acts chapter 2. And Cornelius and his household are told in verse 48, Now I command you, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He needed the gospel. As religious as he was, Acts chapter 11 continues the story. Verse 14 makes it very clear. They were religious people, but they needed God's help. They needed repentance. 
they needed baptism for the remission of their sins simply because I go through some kind of religious ceremony doesn't make me spiritual. Why, the pagans of Paul's day in Acts chapter 17, I perceive that in all things you're very superstitious, you're very religious. Why, you have an altar to the unknown God. Him declare I unto you. Verse 22, Acts 17. They're very religious people, but they needed the gospel. Simply because I'm acting religious and going through service and ceremony does not necessarily mean that I'm spiritual. Well, I want to spend some time, an equal amount of time, with how to be spiritual. And it's not enough for me to understand what the word means. It's not enough for me to avoid the misuse of the term in my modern day and in my modern life. Tell me something that will make me more spiritual. Help me be the kind of spiritual person the Bible really wants me to be. One. Spiritual-minded person believes in God. A spiritual-minded person believes in God. Psalm 100. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is talking about the sovereignty of God. I won't take the time to read that passage. It's a great verse. Romans chapter 9, verse 21. He's talking about the potter. Does not the potter have the right to make the clay pot into what he wants it? Some honorable use, some dishonorable. Come to understand God's sovereignty over your life and come to have this intimate relationship with God that God surely wants that intimate relationship with you Paul is traveling to Rome they're suffering terrible storm Acts chapter 27 if you haven't read that in some time go back and read that selection of the book of Acts where Paul's traveling to Rome for the will of God and the word of God a great storm comes upon them and they're about to be shipwrecked and they were but he tells the people in the ship, don't be afraid, because I've seen God's angel stand before me, whom I belong, whom I serve. This is a statement of an intimate relationship with God. He believes completely in God. And a spiritually minded person is going to start with that plank, that platform. I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe in what the Bible says about God. I believe that God is the creator of this world and the creator of my soul. I believe that I'll be judged someday by God. And I know that God loves and is concerned about me and is very, I'm very, very important to God. Just like Paul said, his angel's there. He's protecting me. Now, I use that passage to help us understand how close Paul was to God. A spiritually minded man, a spiritually minded woman is going to cultivate that kind of close relationship to God. How do I become spiritual? Number two, I become more spiritual in light of the biblical definition by realizing I cannot guide my life by myself. That's a big step. Jeremiah told us that in Jeremiah 10 and 23. It is not within man to direct his own steps. 
If it weren't for the Bible, the Word of God, I don't know where I'd be. I don't know what kind of person I'd be. I don't know what kind of life that I would have lived. But because the Bible gives me direction and gives me focus to life, it tells me what to do and what not to do. There in turn, I give my life over to the instruction of the Word of God, which is what Paul was referring to in Galatians chapter 5, being led by the Spirit and walked by the Spirit, point that we've made already. Why in Psalm 1, one of the very first, the very first Psalm we have in the Bible, Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of God day and night, who studies it and considers its way for him. And in turn, that individual is a spiritually minded individual because that individual is one who recognizes his need to follow the will of God. There's a third thing, though, that I want to talk about, and that's something that we need It's very important, and I think every spiritual person has this. Yielding his life to the will of God. God does exist. I can't live my life without God's instruction. I need to yield to that instruction. I need to follow that instruction. And when I was thinking of this point, I was thinking of Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. A passage you may want to read from the pages of your Bible. What a great man Ezra was. And this statement stands out in his life. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now you probably read that passage before. It's Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. And I've always focused on that passage with regard to the law of the Lord, the practicing of the law of the Lord, the teaching of his statutes and the ordinances of God. But there's a little phrase in that particular passage that we need to remember. He set his heart to do that. A spiritually minded person is going to set their heart to follow the will of God. They are going to pursue it. They are doing their best to understand it. Then they're going to put it into practice because they've set their heart on the matter. To love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might. That's a spiritually minded person. They set their heart on it and they devote themselves to the matter of the study of the will of God. Four. How do I become more spiritual? I keep my eye on eternity and not just on time. Eternity, you see, has no time. A spiritually minded man, spiritually minded woman, going to keep the focus on eternity. Think about it. I'm thinking about Romans chapter 8. This is what helped me with this particular point, the 8th chapter of the book of Romans and the 18th verse. And when you look at that particular passage, he tells us rather clearly, for I consider, when he says I consider, he said, I'm thinking about this, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be or is to be revealed to us. Now he's comparing the two. 
we're suffering, we're having difficulties in life, we're having problems in life. Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's not going to be anything like how great heaven will be. And we think about the problems that we face, and we're concerned about them. And we do what we can to eliminate the problems based on the Word of God, but we always have our heart in heaven. We always have our focus on life's other side. Considering these matters, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, set your affection on things above. That's a spiritually minded person who can do that even in the face of opposition and suffering, persecution and trial. Because that person is truly spiritual in the biblical sense of the word. Well, I started off our lesson today by saying, I need this. This is something I need. I need to learn more about this, of what it truly means to be spiritual. Perhaps you've not started your spiritual walk of life. You're the natural man who has not been obedient to the Word of God. You and I have studied very briefly what it means to repent of sin and confess our faith in Christ and to be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. We've studied very briefly how that these particular matters are important and a matter of obedience to the gospel of Christ, which we all need. And if you've not done that, then start this spiritual walk of life. Truly be spiritual, not in a modern-day sense of the term, but in the biblical sense of the term, by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ today. When you come to know enough, and understand enough, and grow in faith enough, that you're ready to obey the Word of God, do it. If you need to repent of your sins, I urge you to do it before it's too late. It is a dangerous situation to be in, to be in sin. But you don't have to be that way. You can repent of sin and be obedient to the gospel of Christ, and I pray you do it now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.